Most times we rely on the caller to tell us exactly where they are. And a lot of times they don't know where exactly they are. This is Wanda Scott. She's an administrator at a call center here in Concord. It's the call center where they answer 911 calls. And that's one of the first things they will ask you when you call 911. Where are you? It is surprisingly hard to answer that question. There are basic questions that we need to know. We need to know, is the patient conscious? Are they breathing? Effectively, what, we, what comes out of those first initial questions is, what is the emergency exactly and how severe is it? That information is sent to dispatch, which then tells dispatch what is the emergency and how fast should they go. Solving this kind of information impasse is what 911 operators are really good at. They wrangle concrete pieces of information from people who are sometimes in a panic. They can have one benign call, you know, ladder in the road, and then hang up and the next call that comes to them could be some horrific call. So it takes a unique kind of person. 911 is not some huge national program. It's actually local. Every state has its own system. Here in New Hampshire, our 911 call centers are one part of the Department of Safety. And this department is huge. It's got 911, the state police, the fire marshal. They're the people either dealing with a crisis or preventing crises. So today, safety first. We're taking a tour of the department. This is Civics 101, New Hampshire. I'm Ben Henry. In total, 1,600 people work for the department. They are spread across the state. But the headquarters are in Concord, and that's where the commissioner, the top guy, Bob Quinn, works. I mean, the Department of Safety is one of the largest departments in state government. Um, we affect the lives of all New Hampshire residents. Quinn just recently became commissioner. We were established by the New Hampshire General Court in 1961. We have seven different divisions. Department of Safety is part of the executive branch, meaning they don't write the laws, they don't interpret the laws, they carry out the laws. So cops, for example, pull you over. The fire marshal tells you how to build a building. The DMV, that's part of the Department of Safety, they test your driving skills. So if you look at the activities of all these divisions, they all go to keeping people safe. You know, since, since I was hired in 1985, I think the department reacts and is fluid to the needs. So what are the safety needs of New Hampshire citizens today? We've had to respond to different issues. And as you know, I think the opioid crisis, what we're dealing with today is a prime example of how we have to, we have to deploy and, and, and look at our resources and focus them on what's the largest threat. So seven divisions. I visited a few of the big ones. First, the fire marshal. About a year ago, Paul Parisi was appointed fire marshal. He's one of those people, he reminds you how terrifying the world is. The furniture that we put into our houses today are literally made of plastic, which really is just a solid hydrocarbon fuel. And they burn extremely quickly with a dense, acrid smoke that will overcome the occupants very rapidly. As the fire marshal, it's his job to deal with this problem and lots of other problems. The fire marshal's office pretty much does everything except the actual firefighting. Boy, I tell you, Ben, the, uh, the fire marshal's office, and I, I really didn't even realize the breadth of the responsibility that the uh, fire marshal's office has. But, but in one minute, we have to investigate fire deaths, carbon monoxide deaths, and deaths by building collapse. And that's uh, a statutory requirement 
We also have uh, responsibility for licensing and permitting fireworks. We have a hazardous materials coordinator. We have a public education section. And then we have a whole Bureau of Building Safety and Construction. When a construction company wants to build a new building, someone has to take a look at their plan just to make sure it's not horrifically unsafe. Sometimes that person is Paul and his staff. Other times it's the local building inspector or the local fire chief. Also, they will inspect plumbing and gas fittings. So we do a lot. We say that we do, you know, everything from death investigations to bouncy house inspections and everything in between. As part of the executive branch, they don't actually have authority to write the building codes, but they do make recommendations on them. Throughout the country, most states have fairly similar building codes, but every state gets to make little adjustments. Yes, the legislature has has amended our code in, in several ways. The biggest change New Hampshire has made to our building codes, we no longer require sprinklers in homes. We used to, the way most states do, but in 2012 we changed that. Now, Paul is a big fan of sprinklers. He says they save lives, but also they cost money. And the New Hampshire legislature decided they're not going to force people to spend that money. Here's another thing. Most states issue safety guidelines for corn mazes. That's right, corn mazes. But not New Hampshire. Here, you can make a corn maze as big and confusing as your Halloween spirit compels you. And then think about the possibility of someone either accidentally or intentionally lighting that on fire uh, with a whole bunch of people in it. And fortunately, we have not had any sort of uh, tragedy with regard to a corn maze in our state. But Yeah, not yet. Corn mazes aside, much of the fire marshal's job is to prevent fires. But they also get involved after a fire happens. Twelve fire investigators work for the fire marshal. So there's certified police officers and there are also certified firefighters. Once the flames are put out, these investigators pick through what's left. They figure out what happened. One of the investigators typically will begin interviews and they will talk to the fire officials that, that were on the scene. They'll talk to law enforcement that's on the scene and begin to gather information as to um, who was in the building, were there any criminal indicators? What were the sounds and sights and, and smells right, you know, right before the fire and, and during the fire? Was there anybody that might have had motive to set the fire? The other investigator may focus more on the physical property itself. On the topic of investigations, let's talk about the state police. State police are, are tasked with motor vehicle enforcement, keeping the roadways safe, as well as criminal investigations uh, throughout the state as well. Major John Marasco used to be a detective, now he's an administrator. Local police departments handle most of your day-to-day cop stuff. State police patrol highways. That's where you've probably seen them. The catalyst really to the, to the forming of the state police, um, based on, on the research, is that roadways were starting to grow. Legislators at that time looked at it, and uh, other states had formed state police organizations. I believe we were the 15th state police organization to be formed in the country. I also believe at that time that criminal investigations in many in many uh, instances were done by private entities. The legislators at the time wanted to have some type of central, organized governmental structure that could actually spearhead and, and streamline these investigations. Just like fire investigators show up at the scene of a fire, state police investigators do the same thing at the scene of a crime. Local police departments tend to get first crack at a case, and the law restricts when the state police can even get involved. 
But if the local police ask for help, or in a major crime, like a murder, state police show up. Altogether, the state employs about 330 troopers. The uniform of the state police is a green shirt, a black cross strap that comes from one side of the belt to the other, over the shoulder, um, and military pink pants, which uh, they look bronze or they look tan, um, black boots and, and, uh, and a black belt, and then a campaign hat, um, which has been compared to Smokey the Bear in the past. I have one more stop on our tour of the Department of Safety, and that is the Division of Homeland Security. This is very different than the Federal Department of Homeland Security. We do not do as much with counterterrorism here. So this building that we're in on a day-to-day basis is called the Information Planning... Incident Planning and Operations Center. See, I live in a world of acronyms. Sometimes I can't remember what they stand for. Um, This is Jen Harper. She's Director of Homeland Security and Emergency Management. This building she's describing, IPOC, houses most of the Department of Safety. It's kind of a nerve center. People call 911 for emergencies. People call state police for emergencies. And people call the Department of Transportation that, hey, the road is closed. All those entities here in this building provide for us situational awareness. So we know that if there are a lot of 911 calls that come in consistently about flooded basements, we're probably raising an eyebrow to say, okay, what's going on with all these flooded basements in like Manchester? Behind the scenes, that's what we're doing. So a disaster happens in a community. The community reaches out to us and says, hey, listen, we need some help. We are maxed out with all of our resources, and we need, you know, it could be anything from sandbags to barricades to food generators, uh, standing up shelters. What roads can we use to get resources into our community? Employees of the Department of Safety don't use the word apocalypse, but I get the feeling they are ready for the apocalypse. The building that they're in, IPOC, is brick and cement. It's wedged into a hillside. This is Central Command. Wanda Scott from 911 showed me around. Cool, cool. Yeah. So we're gonna look here. Hey, John. Uh, Good, how are you? Is this the room? Yes. Okay, so we're standing in like kind of a foyer right now. Right. Right outside the call center where people answer 911 calls. Um, you said this has no, there's no windows in this room because this is super secure and safe. That's correct. Yeah. Like, what could this room withstand? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Nuclear exactly. attack? Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. But, like, really bad storm. Yeah, sure, sure. Absolutely, okay. yeah. Cool. Yeah. It would take some pretty bad weather yeah, to absolutely. knock this out. Yeah, okay. yeah. Cool. How many people are in there right now, roughly? Uh, there's probably about five or six here, and then we also have people answering in Laconia as well. And so, uh, because... 911 calls in New Hampshire are private. I got to turn the microphone off before we can go in. Okay, well, I'll turn it off and we can go in. Okay. Inside, it kind of looks like any office with cubicles and phones, though each desk has four monitors. One of them has a map of the caller's location. There are some special programs. One monitor just has a Google Doc open. And this is where the call operators write down notes about the calls that they get. The reason for this is when something big happens, like a highway accident. Lots of people call 911 at the same time, and each caller has one little piece of the puzzle. They know a little bit about what happened. The operators need to put the whole puzzle together. This Google document is where they do that. 
I talked to one 911 operator right before his shift. His name's Derek Corney, and on his ID card, he has a pin shaped like a stork. What's the stork club? The stork club is anybody that's delivered a baby on the phone, like the, the full process, not, you know, she's in contractions and then the ambulance shows up, but she is in labor and the baby comes out and we, you know, get the scavenger hunt together. We get the towels and the safety pin, all the things, a shoelace to tie the umbilical cord off and, you know, the whole process. Backing up a tiny bit, will you just introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, my name's Derek Corney. I've been working at 911 for three years. Uh, before that, I worked in restaurants my whole life. Um, is, is there like a busiest day of the year? Um, full moons are always crazy as, as much as you'd like to think it's not. It Full moon, especially in the summertime when, because the summertime is, is the busiest time. It's when everybody's doing stuff outside. and You're not being superstitious here. You're just saying because it's brighter at night, more people are out and about. I'm, I make no claim to know what the effect of the full moon is on people, but it is, it is a thing. Sometimes you're just on the line for like a while, right? Mm -hmm. And is that, what is that span of time like? Depending on how serious the call is, there was one, one call where uh, there was a guy who had a snowmobile accident last year and snowmobile like rolled over on top of him and he was in like a little stream. So he was like in water and the snowmobile was on top of him. It was obviously cold. I think it was January or something like that. And yeah, he was terrified and we wound up being on the phone for I think over half an hour before any help got there. Derek said, nine out of 10 calls are not life or death situations. But you do get those calls when something really bad has happened. That's what makes this job hard. The department is constantly hiring for this position because call takers burn out really often. Civics 101 New Hampshire is created by me, Ben Henry, and Jackie Helbert. We have help from Hannah McCarthy and Nick Capodice. Our executive producer is Erica Janik. We're supported in part by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. And we're a production of New Hampshire Public Radio. Music